Good morning, Journey Church. Happy Sunday. We're glad to see you here this morning. I hope you got some coffee and um, are nice and cozy and dry in here. It is what a miserable morning. Oh, man. But it is Sunday, and we're glad it's Sunday, and we're glad you're here. If you are a first-time guest, please be sure to see one of our guest service person, uh, people, persons, people. Uh, we have a gift for you. It's a coffee cup surprise, and it's awesome. And so if you don't have one, please be sure to grab one. Um, October is also Pastor Appreciation Month, and I don't know if you knew that, but we have three really awesome pastors. So if you could give them a round of applause when I say their names, Jim, Chris, Brian. <laughs> Woo! Thank you guys for all that you do. Thank you for your dedication. We love you guys so much. Um, if you have come prepared to give this morning, you can go right to our online giving portal. It's easy to do. It's simple, and it's very um, self-explanatory. Uh, thank you for giving. We could not do what we do without you, um, and so thank you for that. If you could stand to your feet and say good morning to someone near you, we will sing a few songs, and Jim will be up in just a few minutes. and pain is all I know oh, I won't be shaken oh, I won't be shaken my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in longer has a place to hide and I'm not a captive to the lies I'm not afraid to leave my past behind no, I won't be shaken no, I won't be shaken my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. There's power in your name. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. There's power in your name. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. stood before creation, eternity in 
your hand You spoke the earth into motion My soul now to stand You stood before my failure Carry the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders. My soul now stands. So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I walk upon salvation, your spirit of life in me. Life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God. So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. Praise God. As Chris was singing that song, I had a, just kind of recall, one of my favorite passages of scripture is from the book of Job. And I know that's not where people run to for encouragement, um, if you know anything about the book of Job. If you don't, 
you know, don't read it when you're depressed. It's a hard book to get through. But there's a passage in there where, where Job has experienced all of his difficulties, and now he's, he's having this conversation with God, and he begins to question God. Where are you in all of this hardship? Where are you in, in all of, of the trouble that my life's experienced? And God kind of calls him on it, it, like in the most beautiful kind of poetic way. Like, Job, where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I created the oceans and, and, and built up the stones from, from the ground? Where were you when I set the mountains and, and I put the birds in the air? Where were you when I did all of this? And he, it, he gives this long discourse about all of the things that God did to remind Job who he's talking to. And at the end of it, it kind of clicks for Job. Oh, yeah, I, I, I've just lost my focus. I've got to stop focusing on this and remember who I'm talking to. And as Chris was singing that, it just keeps reminding me over and over again. There, it's so easy for us to lose our focus. It's so easy to, 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 to just think about the things around us and forget who we're talking to. Forget who we're here to worship this morning. And I know some of us face some, some really big, big struggles. But you're standing in the presence of the creator of the universe. Maybe we just need to be reminded of that. Who are you talking to? We're talking to God. We're talking to Jesus, our Savior. What can't he do for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for reminding us so beautifully this morning, God, how big and how mighty and how awesome you are. God, and that's not to diminish the problems we're facing because we face very real problems in our life. But God, you are the creator of everything that we can see and we can't see. Is there any problem too big for you? God, I pray that, that even before we, we, we get into the message or go any further in the service, that you would just remind our hearts of that. Who are we talking to this morning? Would you take this moment, Lord, the next few minutes, to, to perhaps shape us, to make us a little bit more like you, to remind us once again of, of who it is that we're here for, that we're talking to, of the amazing God that we serve. God, and would you help us to find hope and security in that? Be with us this morning, Lord. Help us all to take a step in your direction to become a little bit more like your son, Jesus. In his precious name, I pray. Amen. You find your seats this morning. <clears throat> thank you for being here. Uh, for those of you who are joining us online, thank you for joining online. If it's your first time, I hope uh, you have a wonderful service. If it's your first time online, I hope it's not your last time. We have a gift for you. Just find one of our volunteers at the end of service. We'd be happy uh, to, to make sure you get that gift, to answer any questions you have about Journey and who we are and uh, why we started a church, church in Hamden a few years ago. Um, we love church uh, in particular because we love you. Uh, we love the people that make up this church and make up this community, and we uh, spend every effort of every week to make sure that you are presented with a clear message of Jesus, one that brings hope and one that brings life so that it would make your life a little bit better. So welcome to Journey. My name's Jim. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a thrill to be with you this morning. Uh, if you've come prepared to give, the best way to do that is uh, to head out to our website, journeymain.com. Uh, you can also give at the giving box in the back, uh, but that's really the easiest way to do it. So you can pull out your smartphones, you can keep up. Um, <clears throat> really do everything online. You can follow along with us there. So uh, head out to our website if you've come prepared to give. Uh, for those of you that do, I say this every week, but thank you for being a part of the mission here at Journey. I don't know if you realize this. We try to make this connection often, but here's as simple as I can say it. The church is you. It's not the building. So what we get to accomplish uh, here as a church is, is because of you. Your efforts, your, you being here, you serving, you helping in kids or serving coffee in the back or you know, giving of your time and your resources to the vision here allows us to do what we do. You are a part of it, and it's you that keeps driving this ship forward. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this mission and this vision to create a church where unchurched people would love to attend. Um, it's an honor to be here with you. We do have an announcement, but I'm going to hold off on that announcement to the end of service. We've been in a series uh, we actually started last week, and we are in part two of a series called No Place Like Home. There's not a video for it, so I'm just going to kind of jump right in. No Place Like Home. Um, so if you missed part one, I'd encourage you to go back and watch part one of that. But if you haven't, and, and you're here, and, and you're in part two of this, I think today will be helpful for you, uh, regardless of seeing part one. But if you haven't, go back and see part one. It's good. Uh, <clears throat> so here's part two. Um, have you guys ever noticed how much you, you hate to wait? I don't know about you, I hate 
waiting. I really do. And I'm, I, I, this may come as a shock to some of you. I, I try to be patient, but you know, I'm not the most patient person in the world all the time. And, and um, if I can find an easier way or a quicker way to get things done, I do. I, find, I look for shortcuts. You downloaded Waze when I drive. I'm always using Waze the quickest route. I don't care where it takes me. I don't care if I have to pay more. I just want to get there faster. I don't want to wait. I, I, that's, it, there's something in us, right? There's something in human nature. We hate waiting in lines. It's like, why would you wait if you could get it faster? Have you ever gone to Five Guys? Right? You, you walk in and, and you, you smell the sizzling beef on the grill and you just want a bite of that burger. It, just, it smells so good. And then you have to wait in line. And then you now you have to wait through line. You have to wait for them to make it. I don't know if you know this, but here's some helpful advice. Download their app. You can download their app and you can order your burger before you get there. So when you walk in, it's ready for you. Because that's what we want. Right? None of us want to wait. We want to walk in and we want to take a bite of the burger because that's, that's, that's the hope. Right? That's what's at the end of the waiting. We know what's there and we want it. <clears throat> I, I hate having to wait. It's like going to an amusement park. I, you should never do this, but when you go to an amusement park, maybe once, just like calculate the amount of time that you stand waiting in line to ride rides and the actual time you actually spend riding rides. That might make you never go on a, to an amusement park again, right? It's like... Why do we do that? Why do we wait so much? I mean, there's a reason FastPass was created. There's a reason that, that, that all of these things were created to kind of get you through the line quicker. We hate waiting in lines. We don't want to do it. It's like going, you know, we do anything we can to kind of skip the line and, and, and find a way to get ahead. Uh, you can go to, to Orlando, to, to Universal Studios, and there's certain resorts you can stay at. This is probably worth the price of you being here this morning. Certain resorts you can stay at on the day you check in and the day you check out, they give you like free front-of-the-line passes. So you check in and you go right to the park and you get to the front of the line on all the rides and get it done. That's, that's worth it. We don't like to wait. We hate waiting in lines. Now, we, we do. And I don't know if, if you realize this. The average person over their, their course of their lifetime will spend about 10 years waiting in lines. It's discouraging. We hate waiting. We don't want to be patient. It's, I, I want what I want and I want it now. That's kind of the, the slogan for it, right? We, want, we don't want to wait. We don't like waiting in those lines. We're kind of anti-waiting. That's really what we are. When we think about it, why are you anti-waiting? My guess is we all kind of have a story. We can go back and, you know, I was at an amusement park and I was waiting in line and we, we wait in line for an hour and a half to get to the ride and then we get to the front of the ride. This actually happened to me. We get to the front and my kid's like, I, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. We just waited an hour and a half. I, I, I can't do it. I'm too scared. And then you got to bail online and get out of line. It's like, why did we wait for all this time? It's, it's so frustrating. We don't want to wait. We want what the end of that is. We want what's, what's kind of at the end of that thing, but we don't want to wait for it. It's, it's why we, we now have an Instapot. We had a Crock-Pot, but we replaced the Crock-Pot with the Instapot. Because why would you crock when you can Insta? <laughs> right? Like, I want it now. It's like going to the doctor's office. You, you go to the doctor's office, and, and let's be honest, no one enjoys going to the doctor's office. But it's not because of the shots or the diagnosis of the medicine. It's because you go to the doctor's office, and what do you have to do? Wait. They actually have a room named that. You sit in the waiting room, and then you sit and you wait for somebody to call your name, right? You, you, you're in there, all of you doctors, I see you smiling. I don't mean to offend you. <laughs> you know who you are. But you sit and you wait, and, and, and you're just waiting for that door to open up and someone to come out and call your name, but they call like everybody else's name. And it's like, when are they going to get to me? And then finally they call your name, and what do you do? You, step, you kind of stand up all proud, like, they called me. I'm going in, like, look at all you other suckers. <clears throat> and then you realize on your journey back, oh, I'm not going to see the doctor. I'm going to the second smaller waiting room. And this is like the worst waiting room. It's, it's smaller and it's colder and you're usually wearing like a paper gown. Like there's nothing, nothing good about it. Why do we do that? Why do we wait? Why do we wait in, in, in lines at amusement parks and in lines at doctor's offices? Because we know what's at the end. You see, waiting is easier when we know what's waiting for us. It's how doctor's offices survive. It's how uh, amusement parks survive. Because we know what's coming at the end. We know that if we wait at the doctor's office, what's coming is, is the, the diagnosis or the help that we need. We know when we go to an amusement park, waiting in line for an hour and a half might seem like a drag. But for the, those few minutes of experiencing that unbelievable ride, it, it's, it's worth it. Right? It, it's, it's like when, when you go to Disney. It's worth it. It's worth the experience, even though there, there's crowds and there's waiting. Because it's easier to wait when we know what we're waiting for. But have you ever waited for something that you, you don't know what you're waiting for? Have you ever waited for something and you're not really sure kind of what's around the bend? What, what's coming up for us? You see, I think 
that's one of the main problems with heaven. We've been in this discussion of heaven, and, and really what I think, I think one of the problems is we, we don't know what's out there. I mean, can you imagine going to the doctor's office and never knowing if they're going to call you in? Like, how long would you wait? Would you wait? Can you imagine standing in line at an amusement park and, and not knowing where the line's going and how long it's going to take to get there? Or worse, what ride you're getting on? And then you wait for hours and hours and you find yourself on like, it's a small world. I mean, it's like the worst. But when we know what we're waiting for, waiting's a whole lot easier. You see, it's hard to wait for something we don't really know a whole lot about. And the truth is, we don't know a whole lot about heaven. Paul talked about it this way in the book of Romans. We covered this last week. He wrote to the Christians in Rome kind of about this idea of heaven. He said it this way. He said, but if we hope, and that's what we're doing, right? We're hoping. We're hoping for what's ahead. We're hoping for the future. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, which is heaven, then we wait for it patiently. But the truth is, we don't wait patiently, do we? We don't want to wait at all. We have a difficult time waiting for anything patiently. The truth is, we, we don't have a difficult time waiting for anything, especially something that we don't really understand, like heaven. Like, well, what's next for us? What else do I have to wait for? What's, what's around the corner? What, what's coming up next? I, I, I don't want to wait anymore. I want that thing, and I, and I, I want to have it now. See, in, in a very real way, then, earth, here, now, earth is kind of heaven's waiting room, and we're all just waiting for what's next. We're waiting for what's around the corner. It's like going to that doctor's office and you're sitting there with those old, outdated magazines. See, in the doctor's office, you have those old, outdated magazines, but in Earth, we're kind of waiting and we don't have old, outdated magazines. We have pain. We have suffering. We have tears. We have hardship. We have sickness and we have disease. We have loneliness. I mean, sometimes I wish we just had old, outdated magazines but we don't. And, and the truth is, that's discouraging. And, and the truth is, it, it, it doesn't feel really helpful. And that's the struggle. I think that's kind of Paul's point, is, is that it's, it's hard to wait for something we don't really know, we don't really understand, that we don't really have a grasp of. So I know there, there are lots of reasons that, that we kind of have this dilemma about heaven, right? The, the, the hope of heaven, there's this dilemma with it. And we can hit a lot of those and they create complications for us. But I just kind of want to outline two of those this morning. And the first one is this. Here, here's the first kind of dilemma with, with heaven, if you would, is that we don't know what is waiting for us. We kind of hit on that a little bit, but we don't really know what's out there. There isn't a lot written about it. I don't know about you, but I've never gone and I've never talked to anybody who's gone before. It's, it's really difficult in that way. So we don't really know what's out there. We don't really know what, what to make of it. We don't really know what's on the other side. We don't know what's going to come when it comes to heaven. Because we've never been. And we don't know anybody who's ever been. And we don't really know what's out there. There's all these mysteries. And if you talk to somebody who tells you they know what's there and they've been there before, they're a liar and don't believe them anyway. But we don't really know what it is. So we're a little confused by it. It's like when you, when you move from one city to another. If you've, and some of you have done this. You move from one place to another, and when, you inve- when you're, you're moving there, you kind of investigate, right? You research what that new city has. You research the school systems and the neighborhoods and places you, you want to live. You, you research all of those things because you want to know what you're coming into. You want to be prepared so that when you move, you, you know what you're coming into. Of course that's what you do. And we want to do the same thing with heaven, but we don't really know. We can't really do that. You see, there's no Google reviews on heaven. Uh, there's no TripAdvisor for heaven. You can try. Do you know what comes up? Like clubs and weird bars and restaurants and nothing with a five-star review. And you know how I know? Because I've tried. <laughs> there's no good directions. There's no good place. You see, I, as a kid, I struggled with this. And as a kid, there was, uh, <clears throat> we used to watch a lot of Christian television. I actually asked Chris this this morning if he ever saw this. And this is kind of embarrassing to admit when you see the picture, but uh, <clears throat> there was a, a Christian television we used to watch as a kid, and there was a, a character, who, his name was, um, we call him the big blue guy, but it's, his name was Salty the Singing Songbook. It's, it's creepy, right? Like, I look at it now, and I was like, oh my God, that's so creepy. I can't believe you listened to that. Salty the Singing Songbook used to sing songs and teach kids songs, and when you go to like Sunday school or VBS, he would sing songs, and some of those songs were about heaven, and um, heaven sounded like a wonderful place. So here's, here's what, uh, if you can throw the lyrics up to... The, the, the song for heaven, if you would. Heaven is a wonderful place, filled with glory and grace. 
I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I mean, it sounded kind of wonderful when Salty sang it. But then I, I grew up, and, and I was like, does it really sound all that wonderful? I mean, it, it, coming from that guy, at least, it sounds a little weird. Like, is that really what I want to do? And, and truthfully, you grew up with all these misconceptions. Like, well, it's going to be one really long church service. And I know you all love coming to hear me speak, but would you really want to come hear me speak that long? And then we're just going to fly around and sing hymns all day. Like, it doesn't really sound like all that much of a wonderful place. It kind of sounds a little boring, a little bit of, of a drag. But that's not all that's in store for heaven. As a matter of fact, that's nothing that, of what heaven's going to be like. The Apostle John, he describes heaven in a very different way. At, at the end of his life, kind of at the end of all scripture, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. In Revelation 21, God gives John a, a picture, an idea of what heaven is going to be like. And here, here's how John describes heaven to us. He says, heaven is a place where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes or from your eyes. No more crying, no more weeping. I mean, that, that says a lot, no more heartache. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, the, 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 the human way, what we're experiencing right now on earth, human nature, humanity, for the old order of things has passed away. No more death, no more crying. I don't know about you, but for me, that, that brings hope. That, that's something I, I would love to have and love to experience in my own life. I, I, I don't know about you, but, but I find myself wanting to hope for something like that, wanting to hope for a day or wanting to hope for a place that, 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 pick, that sounds this good, that sounds like a place that we could all go to, right? We want to hope for it. We want to hope, uh, we're hoping for, for something that we, we don't really know all that's on the other side. And we don't know what's out there for us. And that's the struggle, because waiting without hoping, or waiting rather without knowing, it kind of erodes our hope. We're going to wait, and we're going to hope, and we're going to believe that that's out there for us, but we don't really know what's there, so it just kind of begins to kill our hope. It's like when the doctor's office never calls you, when you're waiting in line at the amusement park, and it just seems to never go anywhere. See, part of the problem is we don't know. That's really one of the biggest problems with heaven, but it's not the main problem of heaven that I want to talk about today. The main part of heaven, the problem that we're going to talk about for the rest of this morning is this. The second hope of dilemma is that we need help now, right? We need help now. I don't know about you, but our problems are happening right now. Sickness is happening right now. Cancer is happening right now. Like, she's driving me crazy right now. He's on my last nerve right now. This job is making me absolutely miserable right now. That all sounds good. But what about now? I, I need help now. I need help in the midst of my current circumstance. I can hope for, for, for what's out there, for the future, for heaven. Paul, John, all, like, that sounds great. But what does that matter when what I'm going through right now is happening right now? See, we, we all deal with this, and we're all dealing with this now, right? We just survived a pandemic. The pandemic is happening like right now. That's great, but what about now? See, and, and this is what happens. We're all prone to do this because this is kind of human nature. This is our default, that when we're experiencing problems now, we want solutions when? Now. Not later, not in some distant, far-off land, in some distant, far-off place, in some, some uh, place I have no idea what's... I want it now. I want a solution right now. So is there a, a way to, to wait and kind of avoid all, all of the, the pain and all of the suffering and all of the, the, the lines of life? Is there a way that I, I can continue to wait for heaven and hope for heaven and still not have to go through, through all of that? Because I'd really like to not have to go through all of that. Is there like a ways app for life that I can kind of get through life and avoid all of that? Here's the truth. No. Life comes with pain and life comes with baggage and sometimes we, we have to endure it but there's hope in heaven. You see, if, if there's no heaven, then really, at least for us Jesus followers, there's no hope. Right? If, if there's no heaven, then why believe at all? We believe that there's something in the afterlife, but if there is none, then what do we do? I mean, eat, drink, be merry, right? Live our life to, selfishly, live however we want to live and grab as many temporary solutions to all of our, our eternal problems right away because I'm living for me anyway. But as Jesus followers, as people who, who would say, I'm a Christian, we believe there's something else after this life. We believe that the end of this life isn't the end of our life, that it keeps going, and that there's a destination for us. 
And that destination, it gives us hope. But how does that help us now? How does that help in the midst of what my family is going through, in the midst of what I'm going through, in the midst of what my kids are going through? The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about that. The Apostle Paul, you've heard us talk about him, so I'm not going to give him another introduction again, but he, he traveled around, and all these churches that he kind of started, he would write letters. And in one of these letters to the church, to these Christians at Colossae, we call it the book of Colossians, he begins to write about how we live and how do we kind of endure the hardships that life throws at us. Because Paul is experienced in hardships. He knows what hardships are like. Sometimes we think life is hard. We should read about Paul's life. That's hard. And some of you have experienced a hard life. So is Paul. So when we look at his writings, it comes with a certain level of clout, with a certain level of respect because we know of what he's been through. And in all of Paul's writings, when he wrote a lot of the New Testament, in all of these letters to all of these churches, we find these kind of overriding things in all of the letters. And here's kind of three of them. We hit on a few of these last week. Here are the kind of the overriding things that are in all of Paul's letters, is that there's no place like hope, and there's no experience like heaven. And all of that's possible because there's no person like Jesus. That's what Paul believed. And that's what he wanted every believer after him who would go to church, who would call themselves a Jesus follower, to believe. And if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, that's the hope for you. Yes, this life may throw things at you that none of us want to experience, but there's no place like hope. And there's no experience like what's to come in heaven. Because there's no person like Jesus who did all of this for you. So Paul writes this letter to the Colossians. And in this, he talks about how we can live in light of that hope here and now on earth. The authors, or not the authors, kind of the people who put the Bible together, they sectioned titles of Scripture in certain ways. And I love how they titled this little passage that we're going to read through this morning in Colossians. They titled it this way, Living as Those Made Alive in Christ. Isn't that what we all want? I mean, you may not believe in the Christ part yet, but you want this part, right? We all want to feel like we're being made alive, like our life is full of life, and it's not you know, drab and dreary and dreadful. It's, it's fully alive. We all want to feel fully alive and experience all that life has, life has for us. And Paul said, here's how you're going to do it. Living as those, made alive in Christ. He starts off this way. He says, since then... Since then, you have been raised with Christ. He, he, he said, here's, here's this whole idea. He kind of starts off even with the gospel, that, that you've been raised in Christ. So you've put your hope and your faith in Jesus and in his death and in his resurrection for, for the forgiveness, for the saving of you from your sins. Because of that, you've been raised to this kind of new life in Jesus. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. You go on to the next one. You've set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. He's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to intentionally set your minds and set, set your hearts on the things above, on the things of heaven, on the things of God, your heavenly Father. And I know that's hard to do in the midst of, of, of all that you experience in life. I know that's hard when, when hardships come up and disease comes up and tragedy comes up and, and, and your job's miserable and you can't find a way out. But here's what I want you to do. I, I don't want you to, we kind of talked about this this morning, Chris, wonderful song, uh, about shifting our focus from, from the things that are happening around us to the things that are happening above us. Because Paul knew this, is when we don't set our focus, our focus sets us. When we don't intentionally set our focus on things, what happens? We kind of get distracted by all the things happening around us. It's the default. It's human nature. If we don't keep our mind and our hearts, Paul would say, focus on the things above, what happens? All the things that are happening around us, that are happening you know, on the below, they distract us and it gets our attention. And it's really hard to keep hope when all we see is tragedy and hardship and pain and suffering. He said, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to elevate your minds. I want you to elevate your hearts. I want you to focus them on the things above. He goes on. He says, for you died. And I know what we're all thinking. I didn't die. Like Paul, sitting right, I'm reading your words. I'm not dead. I was like, no, no, no. Like, I know you didn't like physically die, but like spiritually, you, you, you've been renewed. 
He says it in another translation this way. He said, when you become a follower of Jesus, it's like the old person dies and a new person is created. He said, your old self has died, but your new self, this, this new way of living, this new life that God has, has kind of instilled in you and breathed into you, that's a new life I want you to live. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And that's just a really complicated kind of fancy way of saying what happens when you follow Jesus. That, that you, you put your hope in, in him and you become part of, of his family. You become part of God's family. You've been adopted in, into God's family. And where does God live? In heaven. He says it another way. He says it this way in Philippians. And I love the way he actually says it here to the, the Christians in Philippi. He says kind of the same thing, but in a more beautiful way. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. When you put your faith in Jesus, when, when, when you become a Christ follower, your citizenship is in heaven. Heaven is your home. You're, you're literally like aliens, kind of wandering around earth. This, this isn't what you were created for. This isn't what you were meant for. This is why you have that homesick feeling like we talked about last week. Because this wasn't made for you. You were made for something better. And that's what's to come. That's heaven. That's, that's your home. Paul's saying, when, when you begin to realize this, when this begins to click in, in you, that, that you weren't made for this, but you were made for something more, he said, that, that changes things. You see, when you realize that you belong above, it changes how you begin to see things below. When you, when you realize that I'm a part of God's family, that I've been adopted into his family, that, that Jesus is, is, is my life, that heaven is my home, it changes how we live our lives here. That's, that's the point. Don't focus on, on all of the grief and all the frustration and all the things around you. But focus and keep your hearts and your minds focused on the things above. He goes on. When Christ, and I love how he says this, who is your life, that's powerful. He's not saying Christ is a part of your life, like, like church is just this thing you do and Jesus is the sticker you put on your car. No, it's, it's not like a part of it. He said there's like this laser focus that when you become part of God's family, when you put your hope and your faith in Jesus, Jesus, like he becomes it. He's, he's your life. He's, he is your life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That's just a fancy way of saying you'll be in heaven with Jesus. So what do we do until then? He says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to live. In light of the hope that is to come, with, with, with all of the tragedy and the pain that you experience now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put to death. Just like your old self was kind of put to death and this new self is living, same kind of thing. I want you to put to death this old way of living, this old way of doing things. Put to death, therefore, whatever. And he literally means whatever. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, this, this human nature, this, this thing in us that continues to kind of do the things we don't want it to do, even though we allow it to do it, and then we get miserable and frustrated afterward, that part that we all have, he's saying, I want you to put that side to death. And then he gives us an incomplete list, but a really powerful list. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, and lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And that's short list, but to be honest, it's a, it's a really robust list. And it's robust because everybody experiences that. Everybody's tempted there. At some point, everybody's tempted to use these as a solution to the problems we face. Paul's saying, don't. And here's why. Because these are all just temporary. The world can only offer us temporary solutions, but our problem is eternal. So don't grab hold of these, these temporary solutions that are offered by the world for the eternal problem because they never satisfy. They never bring the, the, the hope and the restoration and the redemption that Jesus can. Let's go back, back to that list for me if you could. Can you put that scripture up again? Let's look at this. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask some questions. I don't want you to raise your hand because that's really embarrassing. But I, I want you to be honest with yourself. You're not honest with, with you and me, not honest with the person sitting next to you. This is about you and you. We all experience hardship. We all experience pain in life. And at some point, we're all tempted. So how many of us, at some point in our life, because of our frustration or our, our pain or our anger, how many of us have tried to use sexual immorality as the cure for the problem? Please don't raise your hands. 
But at some point along the lines, we, we probably said something that went a little like this. I am so angry. Maybe this will help. Well, what if it wasn't sexual immorality? What about impurity? What about lust? We always equate lust with, with something sexual, but lust is just this desire for more that can never be satisfied. I want more of anything, and I want more, and I want more, and I want more, and I want more. How many of us have tried that? What about evil desires? What about greed? I mean, really, what about greed? How many of us have tried that? We've stabbed somebody in the back to get the promotion. We took the job even though we knew it would take us away from home way too long and it wouldn't be good for us. How, how, how often have we tried these things? I mean, the truth is, almost every hand would go up. Every hand would go up. Let me ask a follow-up question. How's that working for you? Do you find yourself at the end feeling happy and satisfied and peaceful? Paul goes on. He said, you used to walk that way. You used to do those things. You used to look for those temporary solutions to the eternal problems that you had in your life. You used to do that. You used to live that way once, he said. But now you must also rid yourselves. And he goes into another list. He said, you must also rid yourself of all of these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do you know what all of these things are? These are all the manifestations of our heart as we continue to try to grab on to these, these temporary solutions to the eternal problem. We keep grasping for it. And every time we do and every time we fail and we feel the frustration at the end, we, we get angry. We get rageful. We get like malice and we start saying things we shouldn't say. It's because we're trying to find a, t a temporary solution to an eternal problem. Paul's saying, I just, just shift your focus. Just reset. Stop focusing on the problems around you and focus on the one above you. Focus on the things of heaven. Just reset. He says, don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with all of its practices, and have put on your new self. He uses this incredible kind of word image, which is being renewed, and that's a really important word, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. He said it's like you're wearing these old clothes, this old self, this old life, this old nature, this old way of living, all of these sinful things, all, of, all the things that kind of stand in opposition to God, all the, the temporary solutions to the eternal problem. We keep putting these things on. He said, don't take them off. Well, just like you would a shirt, like a dirty coat, take it off and put it aside. And put on the, the new coat, the, the new sparkly, shiny, sequined suit coat that looks so flashy and looks so nice. He said, that's what I want you to do. Take off the old nature. Put on the new one. The, the problem is, is that we take off a shirt and we put on a new shirt, and that's like immediate. He said, yeah, but it doesn't work that way with these natures. You can take off the old one, but the new one, it takes some time. That's, that's why the word renewed is important, because it's, it's continually being renewed. You're continually, we take it, say it this way, taking steps in the direction of Jesus, growing in your relationship with Jesus. You, 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 can, you have to keep trying. You have to keep working. You have to keep renewing yourself and making sure that old, that old shirt is off and that new shirt is on. You have to continually be renewed to be more like Jesus, to focus our thoughts and our heart on him. The saints of old called it sanctification. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. He said, that's what I want for you. I want your minds to be renewed. I want your hearts to be renewed. And you do that, not by denying the problems around you, but by finding your hope and your solution in what's above you. You see, we can wait patiently. We can wait patiently below by setting our hearts and our minds on the things above. We can't. And, and, and if we've, we've taken this seriously and we apply all the, the, the things that Paul says here, we can find our hope in what's to come. Even though the problems here still exist.
And we can take Paul seriously because Paul's been through trouble. I mean, incredible trouble. He's writing this while in prison facing execution. And it's not like he's writing this and he's thinking to himself, hey, things are trending upward. Things are looking good. No, in just a few months, he's going to be executed. Things didn't look different around him. But it didn't take away his hope of what was to come. Because he knew where his hope lied. The brokenness was still there. But his hope was in heaven. The truth is, when it comes down to it, this really isn't a discussion on waiting, is it? It's really not about waiting. It's about faith. Because we can learn to wait patiently if our hearts and our minds are focused on the things above. You remember last week we talked about creation? In that creation week, everything was perfect for like a week, and then we ruined it, right? We broke it, and ever since then it's been breaking us. It's like this tragic story. How did we break it? God gave us one rule, and really his one rule was this. Trust me. Don't trust you. Let me be in control. And we couldn't follow the one rule. And the truth is, we can't follow the one rule now. You can't do it. I can't. We're still not doing it well, are we? We broke the faith that God was trying to build with us. We broke the trust that God was trying to build with us. It's so much more of a faith issue that it is a waiting issue. Because that, that broken trust, that was sin. That was sin working against what God was working for. And God was working for a trust relationship with us. You see, this is a trust issue. It's a faith issue. So then the question becomes, do you have faith to wait? Do you have faith to wait for what's ahead of you? Even though what's around you might stay the same. The author of Hebrews, he defines faith in this, this beautiful way. We've talked about this before. He says, faith is this. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for because we are all hoping for something. And it's the assurance about what we do not see. I don't know about you, but isn't that like the most accurate description of heaven? We hope for it, but we can't see it. We're confident it's there. I mean, we've, we literally lived and changed our lives to someday see it. That's, that's heaven. That's what's in store for us. You see, this is so much more about faith than it is about waiting. That's the real issue. Do you have faith to wait? And the reason it's so important is because Paul knows this, and my guess is you probably know this too, is that our faith can set our focus. Wherever you place your faith, that's where your focus is. We place our faith in our relationships, and then relationships go well, and we're feeling good about life, and there's so much hope for the future, and then the relationship falls apart, and our focus goes with it, and our life begins to crumble. We put faith in our jobs or our careers or our wealth, whatever it might be, whatever temporary solution we've kind of reached out and grabbed for. We put our faith there, and for a while, it feels good. I mean, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've all reached out for these temporary solutions, and if we said, did it work for a while, we would all say what? Yeah, for a little, it felt good. For a little, grabbing that thing felt good. For a little, a little bit of more felt good. A little bit of more money. A little bit of, you know, fulfilling my desires, if I could say it that way. Felt really good for a while. And then it didn't. And now I'm back at the beginning of the process all over again, except this time I have, I have a lot of baggage with me, a lot of regret with me. He said, don't reach out for the temporary solutions, for the eternal problems. Place your faith on the things above, and your focus begins to change as well. You see, it's, it's, not a, it's not a waiting issue. It's a trust issue. It's not a patience issue. It's a faith issue. Do you have faith to believe? Do you have faith for what's ahead? You see, the truth is I wish, I wish life were easier. I do. I wish there were no sickness. I wish there was no pain. I really wish there was no cancer. I wish there were no hardships and job. I wish people didn't backstab you. I wish friends didn't betray you. I wish kids would just listen to everything you said. I wish the struggles and trials of life weren't hard. The truth is, they are. And in this life, you will have trouble. But how did that end? But take heart. 
because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Your life's gonna have trouble. This world has experienced trouble from the time it first came into creation until the very end. But Paul said, you don't have to keep your eyes there. You don't have to keep your faith there. You don't have to keep your focus there. I want you to elevate your heart. I want you to elevate your mind. And I want you to focus on the things above. See, the best way to stop looking at the things in your life as for solutions to the, to the problems in your life is to intentionally set your hearts and set your minds on the things above. That's what I wish for you. That's what I wish for all of us. I wish, like the author of Hebrews would say, I wish we could learn to live a little more by faith and a lot less by sight. I wish we could believe that our creator has the best in store for us, regardless of what's happening around us. That's the hope that awaits you. Set your minds, set your hearts on the things above, not on the things below. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for this glimpse of what is to come, for this glimpse of heaven, for this glimpse, God, of our future hope. And Lord, it can be difficult in the midst of life and in the midst of all of the things that we experience, God, to, to keep our eyes focused there. Sometimes it's so easy to focus on the problems around us. But God, would you take this morning, would you take, God, whenever somebody listens to this message as a moment, God, for us to hit reset and to refocus, God, to elevate our hearts, to elevate our minds on the things above, Lord, on you, on Jesus, our Savior, on heaven, our home. God, would you help us to keep our focus there? Would you help us to have faith? God, would you give us the courage to walk that out in our lives and the wisdom to see, God, when our focus is beginning to shift and pull it back to center? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jordan, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Before you dismiss this morning, I told you we have an announcement. So uh, give, just give me a few more minutes and we'll be out. A few weeks ago, uh, as you know, if you were here, uh, I announced that my wife and I were uh, made a big decision. We're beginning to transition out of Journey. And for the past few weeks, my guess is a lot of you have been wondering, okay, but what's next? I know some of you asked the second week, why are you here? I thought you were gone. Um, so I'm, I want to give some clarity to that. Uh, I'm here for a while. We, we want to transition the church as healthy as we can to whoever the next leader is. Um, so here's some updates for you. This week, the elders have uh, nominated Chris Madden as interim lead pastor. He's going to begin to lead some of the teams and lead the organization. You can clap. You should clap. <clears throat> you should all give him a high five. And to be completely honest, you should all pray for him. It's a lot of responsibility and it's a huge transition. Uh, Interim essentially means it's kind of temporary. He's going to lead uh, the organization, and he's going to begin the search for a new lead pastor candidate. So as Chris steps into his new role as interim lead pastor, my role's shifting. I'm actually becoming Chris's employee, and I'm just going to focus on being a teaching pastor. I'll be here for uh, the next few months as we can continue to, to transition things as best as we can. So you'll still see me, but you won't see me all the time. There'll be some other speakers here. Um, we'll continue to bring in new speakers, and you'll see new people up here as, as we continue to kind of interview candidates. And we'll let you know when we do that and how the process is going. Uh, but we want, we want you to, to be a part of the process. Some of you ha have said, well, what can I do during this time? How can I help? I I've kind of outlined three ways that I would love for you to help. And the first is engage with your church. Don't take this as an opportunity. Well, Jim's stepping out. I'm, just, I'm done. I'm gone. That's, this church is way bigger than me. It always is and it always should have been. This isn't me. This is your church. You make journey. Don't disengage. Engage. Find ways to help. Serve on a team. We could always use more help serving in teams and continuing to drive the mission. Um, support Chris. Support him in prayer. He's going to, we need prayer all the time. You should always be praying for your leaders. But now in moments like this, pray for him even more. And finally, be patient. <laughs> We're trying. The process isn't easy. And there is a lot of responsibility that's being shifted to our leadership team and, and some of our elders. So pray for them and encourage them and engage with your church. Be a part of whatever God's going to do next. I believe this from the bottom of my heart, and I always have. If God's moving us on to something different, then that something different is better. So if God's moving you into something different, whoever's coming next is better. And he'll lead you to the place that you need to go. And I believe that with my heart. And if you believe it and you'll pray for it, I believe we'll see that come to pass for a journey. So pray for Chris and pray for your leaders. Encourage them. Be patient.
And most of all, engage with us. Be a part of the process. Don't disengage. If you have questions, ask me, ask any of your leadership team, ask Chris and Taylor and Brian and everyone else who serves in different facets of this church. We would be happy to answer your questions. But don't take this as a time to pull out. Engage even more with what's happening. I believe the future, what, what is to come, is better than ever. The best is yet to come for Journey and for you. So keep us in prayer. We'll continue to keep you up on part of the process, and we'll send an email out this week kind of outlining all those things that I just said in a much clearer way. Um, but like I say every time I can, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it, and it has been an honor to lead and to serve you, and I will continue to teach for as long as I can. Thank you, guys. If you would, stand to your feet. I pray you have an amazing week. Come back next week for the conclusion of this series, part three of No Place Like Clome. Have a great week, everyone.